Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Lord, would we hear it? Would we be wooed and moved by the fire of your love, Lord? Would we hear your commandments? Like you say at the end, not just hear them, but keep them for your sake and for the sake of your name throughout all the earth. And all God's people said, amen. Um, When my family moved to Madison, we bought a house that's like a 50s fixer-upper. And our goal was to fix it up with the least amount of money possible. And in the process of trying to fix it up, we discovered that there was asbestos in our ceilings and in our floor. And I'm not naturally a DIY handy type guy. And so at first I was like, asbestos, what? You know, like, I've never heard of that before. It's fine. And then I heard that, like, it's this chemical that they used to put in stuff and it gives you cancer and it's really bad and, like, you don't want to touch it and all these things. But we still wanted to do work, so I learned I had, like, basically three options. One, I spent thousands of dollars and get these guys in hazmat suits to come and, like, take care of it. Two, I buy a hazmat suit off Amazon and try to figure it out myself. Or three, just wing it. <laughs> just uh, put a bandana on, like, grit your teeth, hope for the best, and, like, don't tell anybody you did it. Um, now, officially, the formal like, legal policy is you cannot mess with it. You have to have guys in hazmat suits come and do it. But as I asked around, I got different types of answers from different people. So some people were like, man, those rules are only for the people who worked in the factories. Uh, and they just did that way back in the day when they were working in it for like 30 years. It's not a big deal. Other people were like, as long as you don't do it this way or it gets airborne in this way, you're fine. Or as long as you don't mess with that type of tile, you're okay. And I was like back and forth because I have no idea until, and Marissa was watching me. She was like, what are you going to do? Like, don't, don't mess with the asbestos, you know, until somebody that I trusted came over and was like, bro, asbestos is not a conspiracy theory. Like, don't mess with it. Do, do the right thing. So I did. The person basically helped me call a spade a spade. I'm sure you, you can think of similar examples to that. I have a lot of them. But isn't it fascinating how there can be a fact or a policy or a rule, and we have this way of kind of convincing ourselves out of it or nuancing it or debating it or kind of challenging it until it kind of loses its substance, until it kind of loses its authority. Um, The needle of acceptability of like what's okay moves, and then you're in need of someone to show up and call a spade a spade. Jesus teaches us about what it means, what he, what he wants to characterize Jesus' people, what the community of Jesus is to look like. And last week we learned that one of the first hallmarks of Jesus' people is how they relate to the commandments of God, neither lawless nor legalistic. And in our passage this morning, he's going to focus on two of the Ten Commandments, dealing with murder and adultery, and he'll use them, Jesus does, to illustrate exactly what he means. Where there's been legalism or laxity in keeping them, Jesus is going to call a spade a spade. So we're going to do three things this morning. Aren't you excited about this? You know, this is why you got up, right? 
first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at what he says about the commandments. And they're so amazing what he says, but he definitely is going to knock you on your back feet. And then we're going to think about how we relate to the commandments through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. And finally, we're going to think about some of these practical steps that Jesus actually gives in his text in order to grow in these things and obey what he's saying. Sound good? So we're going to look at the commandments, we're going to think about the gospel, and then we're going to think, think about some practical application to what he's saying. Okay, open up your Bible to Matthew, to Matthew 5 or your bulletin to Matthew 5, verse 21. Verse 21, you've heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says something here that he's going to repeat again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is this formula of you've heard it said, I say to you. And what he's doing there is calling to attention ways folks have misunderstood or manipulated the word of God. So he's not correcting the Old Testament. This is really important. He's correcting their interpretation or their manipulation of it. So you could rephrase this as, you've heard people twist the word of God in this way, but I'm going to set the record straight for you all, and that you is plural, my disciples, so that you can truly follow it. And in his first example here, he draws their attention to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, and points out how they have shrunk the scope of that commandment to only the actual action of murder. So another way you could restate what Jesus is saying is, you've heard people say, as long as you don't actually murder somebody, you're good. But Jesus disagrees with that. Like we talked about last week, that is a skin-deep, minimalistic application of the commandment of God. And he widens it, and he says, I say to you, an angry or a bitter heart towards people is just as bad. So you can't just check the, I've never actually killed somebody box and think that it's okay. The way you think about people the way you speak to other people makes you just as liable to judgment. When Jesus talks about anger here, he's not talking about the feeling of anger. Uh, you probably have heard this passage before because it's really famous, but it's easy to think like, wait, what about righteous anger? Or it's like, wait, if I get frustrated with somebody, like it's just as bad as killing someone? Like that sounds really intense. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not calling us to be stoics. If you geek out a little bit on the Greek word that Jesus uses, it's clear that it isn't just the emotion of anger, it's nursing a grudge. It's actively choosing to cultivate a posture of bitterness or anger. And they're about basically insulting somebody's like intellectual fiber, so it's like call them a blockhead or like you airhead, or their moral fiber, like you rascal, you scoundrel, or something like that. So as an example of this, um, Actually, last night, I read this thing by Corrie ten Boom, who, if you know who she is, she's absolutely one of my heroes. Um, she's passed away, but she was a Dutch woman during World War II that hid Jews in her house in Holland and was eventually caught and sent to a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, uh, she lost family members. And then after the war, as this amazing Christian woman, she comes back and opens up a home for victims of concentration camps and Dutch people who collaborated with the Nazis who were jobless because the culture turned on them. Can you imagine getting those people in the same room and loving them both? This woman met guards from her concentra concentration camp. I just, I love Corrie ten Boom. But she was talking about forgiveness. And here's an example that I can kind of talk about what Jesus is getting at. She uses the example of a, 
bell tower with a rope in like the old cathedrals where you pull it, it would make the bells go and ring and clang. And just one pull would make it go for a little bit. And she talks about how the ring, thinking about the bells going back and forward and ringing and clanging is like the pain or the bitterness or the experience in your mind of division when someone hurts you or when you're angry towards someone, something to that effect. And her analogy is the process of forgiveness is letting go of the rope. I love that. The clang and the ring of the bells might continue to go for a while, but you're not pulling it. You're not keeping it going. Now, to use that as an analogy, what Jesus is talking about here is the opposite. It's gripping the rope and pulling it and continuing to nurse that grudge. And it affects your life if you're driving in the car, when you're at the dinner table with your family, when you're amongst people. Notice it's his words, too, that he's talking about. So if you're kind of spreading your anger or your bitterness around, that's what he's on about. And when you do that in your heart, it demeans people and it diminishes other human beings in your heart. And Jesus is saying that is a root. That's the root source that leads to murder and violence and division and all these things that we so badly lament. Jesus wants to recreate our relationships, and so he wants to change at the root. Really cool. Then he pivots to another commandment that talks about protecting human dignity, which is the seventh commandment, and that is the one about adultery. So look with me at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We could rephrase what he's saying like this. You've heard people say, in terms of following God and keeping his word, as long as you don't actually commit adultery or actually have intercourse with someone not your spouse, then you're good. But Jesus says, no, even if you look at another human being with lustful intent, it's just as bad. Just like with anger, Jesus is not talking here about sexual desire in general. So he's not saying, if you're even attracted to another person, you're toast. He's not saying that. He's talking, again, about the willful, whether it's a real person or someone on a screen, and it's being space for that in your imagination. If you want to replace uh, the analogy with anger and kind of sexual fantasy, it's, it's pulling the rope, keeping it going. Biblical sexuality is so beautiful in the Bible because it's always given and received within this context of utter self-denial and self-giving. You receive your spouse's body only when you give them your entire life which is so beautiful. Lust is pure selfishness. It demeans the other, just like anger and bitterness does, not only through objectification, but it's also a form of holding power over somebody else because even if it's in your heart, you're taking. You're stealing. You're nursing something that is not yours. And just as the heart of violence and murder, the root of it, goes to the heart. So the root of sexual brokenness comes from the heart and the eyes. You'll see Jesus do this constantly. In Proverbs, it talks about how adultery being like an ox led to the slaughter, but it says, first, the heart goes astray. Now, this is a case of Jesus showing up on the scene and calling something that we thought wasn't too bad, extremely dangerous and perilous. Can you feel how quiet it is in the room? The needle of acceptability, I think, has moved very far, even in the last generation, when it comes to anger and sex and the way that we think about what's acceptable and what's not. I think our public 
civil discourse is at an all-time low. We now have like name-calling as a part of our presidential debates, which is really fascinating. Um, I think sometimes in our culture, you actually score points uh, in terms of how creative you can be at name-calling the other side of whatever you don't agree with, intellectually or morally vacuous. It's kind of like encouraged. And then the needle has moved very far indeed in terms of sex, and I don't need to belabor this, but some of the TV shows and movies that are very like at the center of our culture are sometimes like no less than pornographic. We're quick, we're quick as a culture to denounce sex trafficking, but not as quick to call out pornography or even these days prostitution, which are the lifeblood of the trafficking industry, which I think is an amazing example of how Jesus is talking about the eyes and the actual heart or what you do with your body. Jesus would teach us you can't dabble in one and not be a part of the other. That's a hard word to hear. It's all evil. It's all demonic. It all diminishes and demeans another human being. Jesus will have none of it. So it can be shocking to have Jesus show up and call a spade a spade. He says in each one, participating even in your heart in these types of things are wrong and dangerous. Did you notice Jesus references the fire of hell in both of these? He's not joking around. And notice that the focus is always on his disciples. But I say to you, he's not saying, let's think about all these other pagan people out here who are so messed up. No, he's bringing it to roost on their hearts. To not be shocked and challenged by this, I think, is to not hear what he's saying. I think he wants to warn us. But this is the greatest gift he could give us. It's like the guy shooting me straight about asbestos. He didn't tell me that asbestos was bad for you because he was like trying to knock me down. He was being kind to me, right? He was actually loving me by saying this. Look at, listen to Psalm 19. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. By them, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Isn't that beautiful? To push back at Jesus in this passage, and I felt this this week preparing it, to want to be like, you're, you're being too severe. You need to chill out a little bit. It's kind of to say, say to Jesus, come on, Jesus, chill out a little bit. I just want a little bit of room in my heart to lust at people and like hate others. Like, come on, that's human. Just give me a little space where I can objectify people. If it just, you know, it'll just be me. I'm not going to actually do anything, but I just want to just nourish it in my heart a little bit. And Jesus says, no, not even a hint, not even in your heart. Jesus cares too much about the dignity of every human being. Amen? Isn't that amazing? He will not allow any of it in his new creation. That's our hope. And don't you love that about him? Don't you love that he's this strict with abuse and hatred? Both of these commandments, as they were in the Ten Commandments when they were given in the Old Testament, are here to protect us from each other. They're here to cause us a, a culture and a church that flourishes where it safeguards human life and the dignity of the image of God. Hallelujah. So the warning is good. We want Jesus and scalpel to our heart and to our culture. We want that. But then again, Jesus is talking about hell and judgment here, about stuff which every single one of us in this room has done. So in deepening and broadening these commandments, he's not only showing us the way to live righteously, 
he's also showing us our great and immediate need for the gospel. I love 1 John 2, 1 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That is what Jesus is doing. But then he goes on to say, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hallelujah. Amen? Everybody go, oh gosh. <laughs> and for me as well. That's not where we finish the sermon. Oh man, I love that song we sang. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Amen. We might need to sing that again, Maddie, at the end of this. The commandments of God send us to the gospel like we talked about last week. So hear the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus came to seek not the perfect but the lost Jesus came as a physician, and he said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Moses, the man who got the Ten Commandments on the mountain, killed somebody. It wasn't just a root in his heart. He actually did it. David, the great messianic figure of the Old Testament, was an adulterer. The apostle Paul made his living off of anger and vitriol and breathing out violent threats before his conversion when Jesus sought him. The woman at the well had seven husbands. And Jesus took all that iniquity and all that violence and immorality to the cross. He received the judgment of God and fulfilled the law in his death. That, my friends, is good news. That's why we call it the gospel. And it's good to be reminded of Amen? So confess your sins after the sermon. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. Isn't that amazing? Hear the absolution that because of the gospel, you're forgiven. Come to his table. There is therefore no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what's so awesome is Jesus didn't just forgive us. He showed us the way forward through his life. And then he empowers us through the spirit to actually walk in the same way that he did dignifying other humans. So listen to this from Ephesians 4. Um, this is a famous passage, but it's really apical, I think, to this. This is Paul speaking. Now the works of the flesh, works of the old way of life, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And he says, like Jesus, I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, different roots, is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice he doesn't say the fruit of really good humans, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And here's the gospel. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, with the flesh its passions and desires. So there's a new way. So Jesus wants to give you new roots. He's going at the root of the problem, but he actually wants to plant a new spirit tree in your heart that bears different types of fruit towards other men and women in your life, through your eyes, in your thoughts, in the whole thing. But again, that happens not because you try. So the great application is not, so go try. Work a little bit harder. 
No, it happens when we repent of our sins, like Jesus asked us to do. We believe in the gospel, and we open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that happens in our first, the, the time we first meet Jesus in our conversion, but it also happens every day when we repent and believe in the gospel. And because of that, we really can change. The Spirit really does bear that kind of fruit. Just a quick example. Um, my brother told me I could say this, but uh, my brother growing up had a very short fuse uh, when it comes to like social rudeness or pettiness. Uh, my brother is a serious and intense person, and he's not the guy that you want to like tailgate or like cross in any way or do something really foolish or annoying or like whatever. Uh, could go into that. But his freshman year in college, uh, he met Jesus in a really, really powerful way. I was still in high school, but I drove down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he was in college, to go visit him, and I was just amazed at what had happened in his life, and we went to Waffle House really late at night, which is what you do when you're in high school and college in the South. Bless Waffle House. We don't have any here. Um, so we go to Waffle House, and we're waiting because there's not a table, and we're obviously there first, and then some frat boys come in behind us, and then the person's like, okay, your table's ready, like looking at us, and the frat boys are like, get up and go in front of us to sit down. And that's a situation where I was bracing for my brother to just like, like wreck shop. I was like, oh gosh, you know. And on, he would just stop and say, oh yeah, whatever. Just stop. Like so full and effusive with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds trivial, but you know, when you're, you know your family so well how those things are different. And I've never forgotten how shocked I was at the difference almost overnight in my brother's just countenance and the way that he thought about other people sexually. I could give examples about the way that men and women see other human beings sexually. Um, absolute transformation can happen. When Jesus says these things in the Sermon on the Mount, because of the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're possible. Amen? It's really important. So these things happen. Another funny story, I love Billy Graham. Um, what a saint. He always, people always talked about how he never talked bad about anybody. And his kids one time said, you never say bad about anything bad about anybody. Like, I never hear you slander anybody. And one of his sons was like, you wouldn't even say something bad about the devil. And Billy Graham said, well, he certainly does his job well. And <laughs> it's possible. So we've looked at the intensity of Jesus' command. It is intense. We've heard the gospel, but now I want to go back to, the, to Matthew because um, Jesus gives practical advice. And before we look at what he says, isn't it fascinating that he goes for the heart and he gives practical advice? Jesus is constantly connecting the heart to the hands and the heart to the eyes. And for Jesus, this is important, heart positions or choices, which affect what we do with our body. What's cool is that for the practical advice Jesus gives for these, they um, involve these little practical steps that you can take in your life that help cultivate your heart life because they're connected. So let's see what he says about anger. Go to verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Um, the essence, if we could distill Jesus' practical advice here about anger, is reconcile immediately. Reconcile immediately. 
whenever you feel any type of root, and the Bible even uses that word root later in the book of Hebrews, if you feel any root of anger or division or bitterness in your heart's heart towards someone else, take care of it. Pick up the phone. Write the letter. Do a U-turn. Drive back to your house and say what you should say. Jesus wants to make sure here that we understand that being in unity and being reconciled to one another is literally top priority. So he gives us an amazing, almost comical example to prove the point. If you thought God himself would put something at top priority, you would think it would be worship, right? This is about worshiping at the altar, the example he gives. And even more, it's about giving a gift to the church. So it's like a pastor of a church that like needs money talking about that moment when like a parishioner is tithing to the church. And he says, if you're there and you're at the altar and you're about to give a gift to the church, but you remember... Notice he says you. He puts the onus on us, not on another person. You remember that somebody has somebody, something against you. Go. You can come back to the altar later and give your gift. The altar will always be there. But your source of division, your anger, your bitterness, that is growing. It is time sensitive and it needs to be stopped. We have a peace in our service, you know. Um, when halfway before we come to the table, we kind of hug each other and go get our kids and everything. And traditionally, in the early church, that was a really long time where people actually did this because they took it so seriously. So if any of us had any issues with each other, we would reconcile before we come to the Lord's table to be unified and to be one. And maybe we need to start doing that again. So yeah, that's why we have that liturgically in our service. The point is it's time sensitive. I had this weed in my uh, backyard that started as a little weed, and I know as much about gardening as I do about asbestos, so I'm not good at that either. And I didn't touch it, and literally the next year it was like a weed bush. It was huge. And I kid you not, I left it another year, and it's like a weed tree. It literally has like bark. I didn't even know weeds could get bark. But now I could not take it out if I didn't have machinery. Before I would have just gone, done. Seeds of division and bitterness are like weeds, and Jesus says, do it now. Don't finish something first before you do it. Do it now. You cannot stop disagreements from happening. Jesus is assuming they'll come. You don't need to know the perfect thing to say. Just be humble. Have the conversation. I have a couple people in my life that are so good at calling me whenever they sense something funky. And it, the conversation usually is like, hey, man, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you're even thinking this, but I couldn't get this off my heart. And I really wanted to make sure you're okay with this. And most of the time, I don't even know what they're talking about. But they've done that to me so often, it's helped me do it myself. And I have strong relationships with those people because they're quick to pull up any weeds. Let's see what he says for lust. Brangery says, reconcile immediately. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus gives this advice in another place, but here he connects it specifically to lust. And the big idea is cut out what causes you to sin. Cut out what causes you to sin. It's very simple, simple, not sinful. It's very simple. You've probably heard it before, but we always need to be reminded. 
implied by Jesus is to call it a sin-benefit analysis of things in our life. You know, like cost-benefit analysis? It's a sin-benefit analysis. So implied by Jesus' analogy is this internal argument. Yes, my right hand continually causes me to stumble, but I can't cut it out. Everyone else has their right hand, and I love my right hand. I would literally be handicapped if I didn't have my right hand. That's the inner debate. We're very good with all kinds of things, of convincing ourselves that the benefits are worth the sin. Mm. Worth the ways it cools or calcifies our love for God. It's almost like we bring PowerPoints and spreadsheet presentations to our conscience, and we're like, here, let's just think about this really quick, because in the end, I think it's a net gain. This is like, well, I know asbestos is bad, and it can give you cancer, but who knows? And, you know, like, think of the time and money that would take. Jesus here particularly applies it to lust. So the debate would be something like this, I think. To not watch this show would be to culturally isolate myself. I would miss out on important social commentary. Yes, I know this website or this app or this social media causes me to lust, but I would literally be handicapped if I didn't use it. Yes, I know this movie is racy, but the director is such a beautiful artist. Yes, I know I feel sexually charged around this coworker, but I just keep going to their part of the building because I really love the water fountain there. And I need to have a conversation with somebody else. What does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus barges into our internal conversation, and he calls a spade a spade. He takes our sin-benefit analysis, and he helpfully, don't shy away from his warnings, even of the fire of hell, he helpfully puts it in the context of eternity. And he says, if it causes you to sin, cut it out. It's better to enter life handicapped, is what he's saying, than hell with your whole body and all the things you love. My dad grew up in Africa, and the way they used to catch monkeys is they would have a bottle that was tied to something with something sweet inside the bottle. And the monkey could put their hand through the neck, and then they would grab the thing, and the monkey would not let go, and so would be caught. Isn't that fascinating? And I, in my line of preachers from Texas, I'm like the 40th person to use this as a sermon illustration because it's so good. But the monkey literally would rather be caught than let go of the thing and just take their hand out. That's what Jesus is talking about. You grip, I mean, you can see that in Jesus' life, don't you? Follow me. Well, I have to do this. And you see all the excuses coming up and the rich young ruler is like, yeah, but I have my possessions. I've done all the other commandments. And you're just gripping that thing. Jesus is saying, let it go. We need to let Jesus shake us up here. Let him give you the courage to cut out what causes you to sin. Far be it from us, far be it from us, if we let the culture dictate what is normal and acceptable when it comes to sexuality. Amen? Anything that causes you to objectify another human being and invites your lust is inviting you to dehumanize and demean another human being. And in your heart, that is a root that will grow which you do not want to grow. So if there are some media or physical situation in your life that the Holy Spirit is bringing up, we need to receive that. 
what might he be bringing to your mind right now in a way that only the Holy Spirit can personally call a spade a spade in your life? Be brave. Cut it out. Listen to him. Put your life in the context of eternity. These commands and warnings from Jesus are so precious. I hope you can see. They're so good. They hit hard, but who doesn't want a world free of violence and sexual brokenness? Come on. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus died for all the times we've botched this up. The rest of our service is about receiving his utter forgiveness and love, regardless of all the things that you guys have done or done this week. That is the gospel. And he wants to empower you with his spirit to be like him, to live like him. Come, let us, and that we may walk to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.